constructors title goes to Repo Racing, which is the sixth time in the history of the sport. And we go to talk about the Japanese Grand Prix. And I'm joined by two people that need little introduction. Matteo Poletti, founder of Pullman 16 Racing, and Samantha Horvat. And I want to know from both of you, first you, Matteo, what are your thoughts on this weekend and on the race? First of all, hi, everyone. And um, the race has been uh, a little bit more boring than uh, the, the couple of races before. Uh, I think after the summer break, we, we have seen interesting races in Zandvoort, in Monza and Singapore. And this was an, an okay race. Uh, Max won again. And um, I think it was a, a, a 6 out of 10. Samantha, do you agree with the 6 out of 10 there? You know, I I, I agree in some elements that um, there were certain periods of the race that was a little bit, uh, wasn't as exciting. I will say that uh, it was nice to see Piastri touch the podium for the first time. I think that we've been, we've been waiting for that to happen given his recent results. So that was really great to see. And, uh, and there was... I was trying to <laughs> watch multiple replays at the very beginning, I will say, because there was quite a bit of chaos. And uh, definitely, no, although it was great for Red Bull to win the constructors, not a great weekend for Perez, but we'll get into that. So, Yeah, we will get into that. I think uh, <laughs> just to structure it a little bit, Sam, can you talk a little bit about the track as you always do? Yeah, sure. So... Uh, the Suzuka track is uh, is a unique one because it actually has a figure eight layout. It's one of my favorites usually on the calendar personally, but it is notoriously a demanding track for the tires. And usually, and including this weekend, we saw some of the hardest tire compounds that are typically used. There is 18 turns in total, three sectors, and also unique to the track, only one DRS zone. I think it's interesting that Pirelli didn't go for the C0 that they have for this year, but uh, in the end, that did make for a couple of interesting um, uh, strategies and pit stops. Matteo, have they ever used the C0 now? Because I haven't seen it in any of the races being selected as one of the tires. No, is the hard tire. Yeah, um, I don't think they they use that because um, I am not really into... <laughs> tire compounds uh so i don't check them every weekend but i don't think they they ever used it i also don't think they did what the what about the practice sessions uh, because they were all topped by uh, by verstappen again did you see anything uh, of interest uh, on the friday or saturday morning not really um yeah as you said uh, they were topped by verstappen and also they they followed a similar pattern uh, to the race so there were the, the McLarens uh, that were very fast. Uh, also, Ferrari finished uh, P2 uh, with um, Leclerc on FP1 and P2 with Sainz on FP2. Uh, Mercedes were struggling a bit, and uh, I think they also recovered uh, a bit in the race. Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything to, <laughs> to add. No, and I think uh, from practice into qualifying, we saw the trend continue. I think the story of qualifying is mostly Verstappen winning by uh, by over half a second. Um, but uh, but we did see a couple of other things during the during the qualifying sessions. Uh, to begin with, uh, in Q1, we saw uh, Sargent um, crashing, and I think Sam uh, didn't you watch qualifying twice? 
I did. I did watch qualifying twice. So I saw that a few times and uh, that was a considerable amount of damage to the car. In fact, they were they were up all night trying to put that together. And then in turn, during the race, he before the race, he had to start from the pit lane and experienced a five second penalty. So, I mean, that was uh, that was quite a crash. Um, there's a part of me that, you know, j just seeing a rookie driver, uh, you you see if you if you look at the at the difference between two rookies that started this season, you have Sargent and you have Piastri. And this race, and including the most recent ones, you can really see the difference. Although, yes, Sargent is in a Williams and Piastri is in a McLaren. At the same time, the difference in terms of where they are at is is quite considerable. You see Sargent just really almost it seems like he's falling a, apart and, and it's just getting worse and worse. Uh, whereas Piastri is now in a situation where he secured his first podium. So uh, for Sargent, I, the future unfortunately doesn't look that bright. Uh, and it continues to dim every weekend when these sort of things happen. So I thought it was a pretty nasty crash. Not as nasty as um, Stroll's from last weekend, but uh, a costly one for Williams yet again. But some decent material for some memes, I suppose, Matteo? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, apart from memes, I I sympathize with Sargent because I don't think it's uh, it's easy for a rookie to uh, to try and uh, and score your first points in a car that uh, it's hard to uh, to get top ten with. Um, but you also see your teammates scoring twenty one points in in fifteen races, um, and also about the crash. Um, the uh, the dynamic of the crash wasn't that uh, that bad, but um, the impact was uh, was quite severe. So I think the the mistake from Sargent was um, was a bit uh, smaller than than the actual outcome. And this also this is also bad luck for him because um, he's been crashing like uh, at every race, I think, maybe except from Monza after a summer break. And uh, this is also, um, of course, what uh, he doesn't need to do. And uh, he needs to have a bit more um, a bit more stability, a bit more consistency. And um, I don't think uh, they, will, uh, they will renew his contract if he continues like this. Yeah. But I agree with what you're saying there. This particular crash looked worse than it really was. Um, also, Sam, you touched there on Stroll. Uh, again, Stroll was out in Q1 with Alonso, although with a little bit of trouble, but did make it to Q3. Again, a big disparity between the two Aston Martin drivers. I guess Stroll didn't step into the car with a lot of confidence after what happened last weekend. But uh, yeah, there was a bit of a... How do you, how do you feel on, uh, on this moving on during the season? I guess we all sort of expected the gap between Alonso and Stroll to be rather big but um, is it even bigger than you expected it would be yeah but i also think that i i have to wonder what is going on with stroll really going on because i mean i thought it was very unusual that we were getting these reports of that he was potentially going to miss the race this weekend and that he what and then he was going to be a part of it and i understand that his crash prior and that that was a that was a really nasty crash but I can't help but wonder if there is some sort of commitment issues that are going on behind the scenes. I just think that all these 
all, all these little bits of information that we're seeing since the summer break and then um, his the the question about his lack of commitment, but then the reassurance from Mike Crack stating, no, they're going to continue to have Alonzo and Stroll next year. And then we're just seeing situations where he's really struggling. And like you said, there's a, there's a very large dis, um, separation between what Alonzo is doing in that car and compare, at least in the very beginning as well, because they have been struggling recently with the car and finding their top speed. But ultimately, you can see there is a considerable difference between the two drivers. And I just wonder if mentality at this point and commitment is really playing a part. We don't know for certain, but it's something that I definitely think is questionable at this point. What are your thoughts, Mateo, when it comes to Stroll? Yeah, I agree um, because um, he finished P20 uh, in quality for two uh, two weeks, Monza and uh, and also Singapore, of course, with the crash. He also got out in Q1 now uh, in Japan. And um, while Alonso has a 100% um, uh, Q3 uh, participation this year, so of course the car um, isn't, at its best, because um, at the very beginning of the year, even with a um, broken wrist, um, Stroll was getting P6 in Bahrain. He also was fighting f with the Ferrari in Saudi before the car broke down. So he, he wasn't uh, doing that bad. But then, yeah, the car also fell apart and uh, he also lacked uh, some kind of consistency, some kind of motivation. And I think more or less, uh, um, of course, there are some differences, but Stroll season has been a bit like Paris season because um, he was there at the beginning. Of course, uh, Paris beat uh, Max twice and Stroll uh, never beat Alonso, but um, he was there. And then from Spain or Monaco onwards, uh, they both fell apart and um, they have they are yet to recover. I think that's a good comparison for the two drivers' situations with Red Bull and with Aston Martin. And and also, um, I feel that motivation, like you were saying, is a, is a key word there. I, I do not really see Stroll as the, walking around as demotivated driver, um, more so demotivated, actually, uh, rather than being motivated. So, yeah, I, I, I think that is something that might have to do with it and, and actually plays a big uh, a big role M moving into q2 so we saw there that actually verstappen norris and piastri set their bank collapse on uh, on on used soft tires and they didn't go out again uh, to set new laps which actually with insight norris was slightly lucky there because he he finished only p ninth so did make it into q3 but uh, just ever so slightly um also something Noteworthy is both Alpha Tauris there being in Q2 uh, actually uh, lost and made it out of Q1, setting the fourth time, and, and Tsunoda the, the eighth time, and in Q2 Tsunoda set the seventh time in, his, in, in front of his home crowd. Lawson just not making it into Q3 with setting the eleventh time, but um, a bit better from Alpha Tauri from what we've been seeing all season, uh, Sam. Yeah, absolutely. I was happy to see Sonoda in his home race crack the Q3. So that was that was really good to see. He seemed like he was doing well. And yeah, for AlphaTauri, a team that right now in the constructors is dead last, uh, being in a position where they are managing to squeak into better, they, you've seen definitely some improvements. And I think that 
part of those improvements definitely are a part um, come also with the upgrades that they've had recently but to coupled with the fact that you have Liam who has been in the last three races just been on point and then Sonoda picking up some stride and he's had a few unfortunate circumstances in the last few races but definitely seems to do well in uh in in many cases during qualifying and this was again just a good example to see especially with his home race so so guys moving into q3 i'm going to send you a picture i don't know if you have the chat on the right hand side of your screen but i'm gonna send you a picture Ooh, we're getting an image <laughs> yes of the verstappen pole lap and you guys tell me whether verstappen is or is not over the line there with four wheels and i haven't heard no. anybody talking about it but I, I i saw it initially and i went back to look at his lap and i tried to pause this and i, I think i even paused it slightly too late but if you look very well the white line there and the curbs there's even a little bit of space between that where there's asphalt and i think he's with his front right he's on that asphalt but he's not on the white line i don't know if you can see the picture but i think he's he's off there oh i can see the picture yeah. <laughs> yeah same so this was the actual pole lap that he said now the second fastest lap that he said would have still gotten in pole so it wouldn't have mattered but i was just i was just a bit surprised that there wasn't any discussion about this because this was actually shown on screen like when they were they were uh broadcasting his lap the one that actually got in pole you could see this yeah you surprised me because uh i was watching quality and i didn't see it and uh, i just saw it now um i think that no one uh saw it or maybe no one complained because he was so far uh so far away from everyone else that uh as you said he would have got pulled no matter what so if we were in a like 2021 situation with hamilton and verstappen maybe uh that that would have been a uh a bunch of a uh, bunch of requests of penalty after two minutes. No, but that's a nice catch, Anton. I, I definitely did not notice that during qualifying and the two times that I watched it. So the fact that you picked up on that, that's a, that's a really good catch. I mean, Lewis had mentioned at one point this weekend that, uh, that, that artificial intelligence, I think should, he was suggesting that maybe they should be a part of, uh, of the stewards and their calls maybe they don't need that maybe they just need you because this is a, this was a nice pickup <laughs> granted you watched the first qualifying drunk i guess so that that i, I understand no you didn't i didn't and i was not uh, no i was not <laughs> but uh, i don't know if we consider goal line technology for example if we consider that artificial intelligence i don't know what we would need to call it but i do think that if you would set up something where you can and actually you don't even need it I, I think you should put it all around the track but you just need it in specific corners I mean this was uh, a turn two which is a place where it's you know you come in with a lot of speed into that corner so there's a higher chance that you go wide much higher than in other places so but I do think it would be worthwhile because you know you got you got this situation on for example Austria where everybody had trouble uh, being uh, within the within the white lines but then again does it really matter whether it's something that comes up like 30 times in a weekend or whether it just happens once or twice i think it should still be policed uh, and regardless who the driver is and i think they did just 
field to notice it, but there should be as much attention, maybe even more so when, um, um, yeah, it should just be policed in the same way all along all of the tracks during the, the whole season. I think that's one of the critiques that the FIA has uh, brought upon themselves recently is that uh, there's just not a lot of consistency between the different races. And I think uh, they went back and um, also made a comment on um, on the impeding of Verstappen during the Singapore weekend and, and came back and said that they should have penalized that. So I think that's what a lot of people are um, a little bit bothered with is that there's just not a lot of consistency uh, between the between the different races. How do you how do you see that, Matteo? Yeah, exactly. I agree. And um, I also was really surprised to see Verstappen not being penalized uh, at Singapore because um, I think he was um, uh, he impeded uh, three drivers uh, three different times. One uh, with Tsunoda, one with uh, the Mercedes, and uh, Another one, I don't know. Uh, Sergeant, who, he also impeded. Sergeant, yeah, yeah exactly. It was three times. You're right. And uh, that he uh, he would he would get at least one uh, one penalty for for that, uh, but he didn't. And I also think about the situation that uh, maybe many people say um, FIA is pro Red Bull, like they uh, they used to say. Ladies, by this year. FIA and I don't agree because I think that FIA is just inconsistent. They they have always been, and um, we need to get um, stu- the same stewards every race because um, a driver uh, can't uh, do a thing in one race and get penalized, and then repeat the thing uh, in the next race and get away with it because. It's what happens, and it needs to be uh, a more consistent uh, rules, and uh, and yeah. I absolutely agree. I think that it's it's not so much favoritism as it is the fact that it's just a lack of consistency time and time again. And we have we can utilize many examples, uh, even in this year alone, that has shown uh, just a just unfortunate situations where you see some calls. Uh, that are maybe a little more harsher than others or some that just didn't happen. And yeah, I agree with you, Anton, also going back to the fact that consistency in this case would have been important because in Q1, uh, Joe actually had his lap time deleted uh, for track limits and he was in a, that was what determined him being unable to make it into Q2. So, you know, if, if we have one driver who is um, facing that, it would make it's only fair that another should as well, regardless of of which lap it was. Good point. All right, so let's get into the race. And I think uh, one thing that we can bring over from qualifying into the race that the only alteration to the starting grid, or not really an alteration, but Sargent started in the pit lane, um, and he also got a 10-second penalty because the team started to rebuild his car too early, uh, I think was the reason. But um, more importantly, there was a lot of things that uh, that happened at the start. We saw the team split between different tires. So uh, there were a couple of drivers on, on softs and a couple of drivers on, on mediums. Um, well, basically, P1 until 8 were on mediums. And then we had um, Tsunoda, Alonso, Lawson and 
Bottas starting on softs. And uh, a little bit further back, also Stroll, Hülkenberg and Joe started on softs. But um, yeah, uh, into the start of the race, uh, we had um, well, we had a couple of things that, that were happening. So we had, first of all, Sainz, who basically uh, moved to the left, um, pushing Perez into Hamilton. And um, I think from the three of those, only Perez had to pit to, to get a new front wing. We had uh, Albon being hit by Bottas and, um, and Joe picking up uh, some of his debris. Uh, Bottas had to pit for a new front wing. Um, and at the very front, we had a battle between Verstappen and the two McLarens. Uh, Sam, what, uh, what was that battle and how exciting was that? And, and, and were you disappointed to see Verstappen come out on top of that? Um, I mean, disappointed, I would say more, I wasn't surprised <laughs> I mean, at this point, uh, the, uh, the, uh, it, it was, even if, even if a McLaren had made a wise decision and, and tried to take advantage, it would have been a very brief moment, I imagine, before Verstappen took the lead once again. So I, I think that his only, his only bit of, um, possible wheel to wheel action was going to be at the very beginning to see what the two McLarens were going to do. I mean, it was a wise move on his end to cut off Piastri, but by doing that, he left himself vulnerable with Norris, and Norris took advantage of it. And uh, for Piastri, he ha he fell to P3 as a result. But um, I think that uh, for McLaren, I it was really great not only to see them and in a position where you had both drivers at two and three and sitting in a good spot to score a podium, but just to fast forward to the fact that they both were able to manage to secure the podium and remain consistent. And they also made wise decisions as well in terms of pit stop strategies. During the virtual safety car, Piastri um, did have a, they, they managed to uh, give, he had his pit stop and then immediately afterwards the virtual safety car was called. So it couldn't have been any more well-timed for him because it really gave him his advantage to get back at the front. And um, although he, I think they had a moment, McLaren, uh, where he was slowing down and they did give team orders for Norris to move ahead. Although I've said it consistently, I'm not a fan of team orders. I do think it was a wise decision for Norris to uh, get ahead of Piastri because I think it was, was also a major advantage for them to both come on top as a two and three. So yeah, first lap was absolute chaos, uh, but my eyes at the very beginning of the race were more <laughs> focused on that brief little battle uh, between Red Bull and McLaren and to see if they really were going to try to give Max a bit of a run for his money, as brief as it may have been during the race. You mentioned a virtual safety car there, Sam, but uh, before the virtual safety car, we also had a, an actual safety car come on the track around uh, lap four or five or something, or even earlier, um, because of, I think it was debris on the track. Mm -hmm. And that was the moment where um, Perez got his, um, his safety car infringement penalty, which uh, we all thought at the beginning was because of uh, overtaking two cars when he left the pit lane, but it was actually because of overtaking Alonso when he went into the pit lane um, and he overtook him before the line. So um, it, the, the penalty was, was um, well, just because of a not-so-clever move from Perez, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that this is just this whole weekend, all these incidents that you see with him, I don't think his mind clearly isn't there, is, is, is clearly not present completely in the moment because some of these errors that he's making are very simple errors that... Uh, if you're fully focused, they're just, they're not going to happen. And I mean, we've had this conversation before. And actually, I think when the three of us were last 
having a conversation, uh, we're last together on the podcast, we were talking about this very situation when it comes to mentality and Perez and where we think he's going to be. So it's interesting that now we map it out uh, several race weekends later, and here we are talking about a weekend that was just, in my opinion, to sum it up in one word, disastrous for him. Yeah, I agree because um, I think he was he was having um, an okay weekend up until uh, the crash with uh, with Sainz and Hamilton because he got the um, P five I think um, in quality, which uh, yeah uh, he he got like uh, uh, six or seven uh, tenths uh, from Verstappen, but given the fact that he, he used to to qualify P twenty or P fifteen. Um, uh, it's still a nice result, and um, and also uh, I think that Verstappen uh, uh, outperformed the car a bit in quality, and then in the race uh, um, it also wasn't his fault uh, for lap one because Sainz moved uh, to into him, and then he had nowhere to go but to to come a bit across uh, across Hamilton, and but from then on uh, he he just lost control of the race because. Um, he tried a move on on Magnussen and spun him around. Uh, he it was like um, like he did in Singapore with uh, with Albon, um, and this time of course uh, he he didn't get away with it because uh, he was retired, and um, and then I think he also impeded uh, impeded Norris during the the virtual safety car that. Cost him around three to, to four seconds. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it was it was a chaotic race by uh, by him, and uh, I think this this of course uh, doesn't help with uh, with the, the moment that is leaving. And as uh, as we said before, for Sergeant and also for Stroll, needs a good race to to change this. But um, the results uh, are um, worse race by race because. Um, he uh, he almost got a podium in Zandvoort, then P2 in Monza, and then to uh, to absolute shocker of a race in in Singapore and here, and this doesn't help. Now he's also uh, I think uh, about thirty points um, ahead of Hamilton in the standings. I think uh, P2 is um, still safe, but uh, imagine if he finishes uh, behind uh, Hamilton. Uh, after Abu Dhabi, that would be that would be even more embarrassing. No, you're right. That would be embarrassing indeed. And and you just mentioned there quickly, uh, Sergeant, and and you know, Sergeant had the same type of incident just after the restart of the of the safety car uh, on Bottas, where he locked up a little bit and then hit Bottas in the side. Um, and I was thinking to myself, that is such a a, a rookie error. But then, like you said, a couple of <laughs> laps later, Perez just drives into Magnussen and like you were saying it was a carbon copy of what happened with him and Albon uh, a week ago and um, yeah if you think about it you know you you judge something that Sargent does as a rookie mistake but then Pires does the same thing I don't know I, I think um, and you were comparing previously uh, Stroll and Pires situation with one another and and I think it has a lot to do with that. I mean, he he must be demotivated by seeing the other car constantly uh, out driving him, and and yeah, uh, it just it just looked very clumsy. And and then what happened after that with um, with Red Bull retiring the car, and then 
later on deciding that they had to get back out there because they had gotten a penalty uh, which they received after retiring the car so because of that the time wouldn't have been added upon to his final uh, yeah final finishing time so he had to get back out there to actually incorporate that penalty into into this weekend's race rather than it being or becoming a, a three-place grip penalty for for Qatar so um that called for a couple of um mixed uh, emotions i think from a lot of people seeing red bull just basically you know interpreting the rules the right way i suppose i mean i guess this was uh not something that they couldn't do but uh, i i think it left a, a lot of people with a lot of questions and very surprised whether this should be you know with the let's say the general thought of what the regulation should be whether this should be a part of it uh, sam uh, how do you how do you how do you look up until that well i'm pretty sure that moving forward they've decided that you can't do that after this incident but i do think that it was i mean at the time as a team to find a loophole and see if they can they can put the driver back out there to avoid that going into the next race i think that was a pretty quick-witted and savvy decision to make at the time uh however to constantly see perez just awkwardly sitting in the car for however long after he already knows he's had a very difficult race and then to go back out and do laps just to be able to make up the penalty i mean you have to wonder just where his headspace is it is at this point in time i mean because that that must be incredibly difficult and so Similarly to, we, we've touched on the drivers already, Sargent and Stroll, and so similarly to Sargent watching him crash in Q1, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit heartbreaking to see Perez be in this position and then also to basically just sit in the car. I mean, at one point, you saw Verstappen coming in, doing his quick pit stop and leaving, and Perez is just sitting in his car waiting. Was just watching to go on, exactly. His, yeah, to go serve his penalty. And I'm just thinking, wow, <laughs> imagine being in that boat. And then also... He, he got into the car on, on lap 27, and then he finally got onto the track at la mm -hmm. lap 39, when the leader was on lap 39, not himself. He was he was, he was was definitely not on his lap 39. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, that was just such a comical... Uh, I mean, even on the time... Timing sheets on the left, you know, you could see Paris in, in, in between a couple of drivers who had retired and, you know, was having fighting people that weren't even on track. Well, and then you also have a situation where after that, Red Bull secures the constructors this weekend. So here they are after the race, they're celebrating, they're in great spirits. How does it feel to be Perez knowing that although he's contributed to that constructors, uh, it, it's, it's probably absolutely bittersweet because yes they're there uh, he's also contributed like i said but also at the same time his contract is is probably in jeopardy at this point and he knows he's not doing himself any favors after this weekend so probably i've i couldn't imagine being in that headspace at this point in time after a weekend like this so let's move on to another team uh, that team being mercedes which i want to talk about uh, matteo what did you make of the battles between um, hamilton and russell at the beginning of the race and then turning on to different strategies later on in the race and needing each other what uh, what 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 you know your general thoughts on that yeah um i think that mm, the battles were a bit unnecessary because um of course uh, both drivers lost uh, some seconds battling each other and it happened twice in the space of uh, of some laps 
And um, I don't think that anyone is at fault, uh, however, because uh, of course it's just racing, but um, in a race where uh, they, uh, they knew uh, it would be hard to get to the podium or even get to the top five, of course, after uh, hard qualifying, um, I think they should have uh, specified uh, a bit more what the in the strategy uh, was for uh, Russell and what the strategy was for Hamilton uh, in order not to uh, not to meet each other and uh, and lose and lose time of course and uh, in the end uh, um, I think that uh, Russell uh, lost uh, p6 uh, p5 my bad uh, because of the battle with uh, with Hamilton. And also uh, the strategy uh, wasn't the best for Russell because um, the one stop uh, uh, didn't work out. Of course, uh, they uh, they tried it in order to uh, to get to the podium or to get uh, to the top five, top four. But um, he finished B six, and I I think uh, uh, he could have finished uh, in the same position or maybe uh, even higher with a with a more uh, normal strategy like uh, like Hamilton. He even finished P7 because uh, uh, Sainz was P6. So, uh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. But you're definitely right. That one stop uh, definitely didn't work out. He was also the only driver, actually, to to try that one stop. And, um, yeah, it must have, been, uh, must have been very demotivating for him because, yeah, like you said, he lost time. Uh, both him and Hamilton lost time. And then later on, he, he had to actually also help Hamilton in the race. Um, when he had um, when he had both Hamilton and Sainz behind him, he wanted to uh, try the same trick as um, as Sainz did during Singapore. But um, but then the team told him not to, and um, yeah, I guess he was trying to help there. But uh, yeah, not the most um, satisfying race for for Russell after all. Um, but uh, but I think um, somebody that must have been very satisfied with this race, even though of course starting. Um, uh, you know, ahead of his teammate. I'm, I'm going towards Piastri here, uh, starting ahead of his teammate. <laughs> but um, uh, for stopping, <laughs> yeah, no, for stopping, fending him off on the first uh, on the start, basically, and that way leaving space for Norris. And uh, like you said, Sam, I mean, he had uh, a bit of luck there that he went into the pits when there was a virtual safety car. So at that point, I also thought that that would help his race a little bit. But in the end, um, he saw his teammate uh, finishing in front of him, but he was the first rookie in 10 years to, to lead a race. And um, he was also the first uh, rookie in, in, in six years that was on the podium. So uh, um, I think mm -hmm. that's something to applaud. And uh, I think in general, uh, what he's been showing this year, and um, yeah, you were comparing it to the other rookies. I think, you know, uh, with McLaren making steps uh, the way they did, it's not a fair comparison. On the other hand, when McLaren wasn't all that great, um, I think uh, he was also still performing quite well. He got points in, in, in his home race, if I'm not mistaken. And at that point in time, the McLarens weren't as good as they are now. But um, all in all, a very satisfying result for uh, for Piastri and for McLaren. And I think uh, also smile on the face of Norris. I guess if they were both going to be on the podium, uh, he'd be glad to be on the higher step than uh, than his teammate no <laughs> i absolutely i think anybody would but <laughs> i i <laughs> good point <laughs> we'll see that <laughs> when it comes when it comes to mclaren we have to make mention of just 
the amount of development and uh, improvement they have had over this year. Because to be honest, at the beginning, like you had mentioned, they weren't, they, they were at the very, they, they were doing, I mean, again, I hate to bring up AlphaTauri saying that they're at the back of the, the boat here, so to speak, but um, McLaren was was do, having a worse performance than AlphaTauri at the very beginning of this year. And now we look at a situation where they are, they're number two at this point, at least in the last several races, the amount of improvements that they have made over the upgrade packages that they have brought in. I never, ever would have thought that they would be at the level that they are at currently. And uh, so I think that it's incredibly impressive overall as a team. I think that they have not only made the significant strides in terms of their upgrades, but also they have tightened up their strategy, uh, their, their strategy, their pit stops are, are very clean. And then you also have the drivers on point maximizing what they can out of the car. So I think all in all, this is a team that we've probably seen um, the most significant difference over the year in improvement so far has definitely come out of McLaren. As for Piastri, I think that, you know, they, they also renewed his contract. They gave him a contract extension to 2026. And this this uh, week, also a very wise decision, I think, on McLaren's end, because I do wonder how much longer Norris is going to be there. Um, would love to see him there, but I mean, who knows? <laughs> who knows where, where he may want to look? Uh, but Piastri also received driver of the day uh, this weekend. And like you said, he, he's, he's created a lot of milestones as a rookie for the first time. And this was also his weekend, the first time on the front row. So it is also going to be interesting moving forward, because I think that similarly to Mercedes, you have two teams with two drivers that are very close to each other in terms of performances, usually on the weekends. So when you take a snapshot of McLaren at this point in time, I mean, the, the both Lando and, and Piastri are performing so close to each other. It, it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic continues to evolve as the rest of this season progresses. I mean, are we going to see a situation where Piastri is going to be overperforming Norris? And then in turn, what what does where does the mind go for Norris in terms of future going forward? I think it's a really interesting thing to pay attention to. And you're mentioning contract extensions there, and I think uh, it's uh, it would be uh, wise to also talk about the other team where there were contract extensions. And before we do so, first of all, I think this was the first weekend actually where we could see a fair comparison between the two current AlphaTauri drivers, Lawson and Tsunoda, where Tsunoda actually had the better starting position than Lawson, but Lawson finishing ahead of Tsunoda. Um, why I say Fair comparison, because during Monza and and Singapore, Tsunoda didn't have much of a race um, in neither of those Grand Prix. But actually, during this race, they were on exactly the same strategies. They both started on softs. They both went to mediums, uh, not in the same lap, not to double stack. Uh, and they ended the race on, on hards. And um, and yeah, um, Lawson finishing ahead of Tsunoda there. So, um, um, Matteo, how do you feel in general about the contract extension of Tsunoda and Ricardo that was announced uh, ahead of uh, qualifying this weekend? And um, and what do you think of the performances of the two current drivers of that team? I don't say uh, I was disappointed with the, the contract extension of uh, Ricardo and Tsunoda, but. Um... 
Um, I had mixed feelings because, uh, of course, I'm really happy for Tsunoda. Uh, he had a, um, a difficult uh, debut season uh, and also uh, hard 2022, but in 2023, uh, he's the team leader and uh, he's, doing, he's doing really well. Uh, of course, and also in at the start of the season uh, with uh, a worse car than uh, he has now, um, he was uh, getting every every race uh, P10, P11, P10, P11. And um, about Ricardo, um, I can't really rate his performance so far with Afatari because uh, uh, of course he drove uh, for them for two weekends uh, and then he uh, he got injured. Um, I'm happy for him, but also uh, I'm sad for Lawson because uh, I think uh, he deserves a seat. And also because uh, I read some um, some comments on of Marco uh, on the situation, and um, he said that uh, they were they um, were trying to uh, to wait until the the end of October uh, whether uh, Lawson can win the the super formula uh, championship or not in order to uh, bring him to formula one or uh, uh, let him stay as a reserve driver so um, the announcement uh, came came of course earlier than uh, than the end of, of of october and this surprised me a bit um i i'm not really sad for Lozon because um Still, reserve driver is a good uh, is a good role, uh, and um, Red Bull is is really known to um, for um, for wasting talents uh, by putting them in a car or in a top team too early. So uh, if he takes F1 step by step, I'm sure that uh, he will do a good job anyway. But of course, uh, I would have loved him. Uh, I would have loved to to see him uh, being a full time driver in in F1. There's still a seat opened in um, in Williams. Um, Sargent, of course, is not doing really well. Um, uh, Schumacher uh, has been um, um, the team principal of Williams has denied uh, the Schumacher rumors. So maybe Lawson can can get to Williams. Uh, I don't know because they have um, the Mercedes. Uh, engine partnership, of course, uh, but uh, who knows? Maybe an album Lawson partnership could could do very well. Yeah, I agree. I think that that would be an interesting partnership, and and it is uh, something that you touched on there with the with the connection with Mercedes. However, I wonder if it's possible. But if it was, I think it would be. It would definitely be an interesting partnership because you you have both drivers that uh, Albin obviously has found quite a bit of success in Williams and for Lawson I would imagine that given his recent performance with Alvatari and how much he's been able to maximize out of that I would imagine he would do the same in Williams yeah I guess this decision for Alvatari had been made already a couple of uh, weeks beforehand with Ricardo so um, yeah a bit disappointing for Lawson but I would definitely um like to see him in that other Williams seat. Although, yeah, just like you said uh, earlier on, Matteo, I mean, I also think that uh, Sargent is sometimes getting a little bit too much criticism um, for what he deserves. But then again, yeah, if Williams would have two drivers that are able to score points, I think that would help them. Uh, that would help them a lot. Um, uh, talking about 
scoring just a few points. Uh, we had both Alpines finishing in the top 10. That has been a while uh, since that happened, hasn't it? Yeah, and they actually started the race outside of the top 10. So the fact that both of them managed to get in there and score points, I think that's definitely a rewarding weekend for the team. Yeah, uh, I agree because uh, they also had uh, um, a streak of, um, of really, really disappointing and unlucky races. So to, uh, to start and to end the races uh, in the points and without any um, problems, any issues, any controversies, uh, I think uh, that's what uh, they needed. Yeah, there's been a lot of stuff surrounding that team uh, during the season and um, on a track where, uh, you know, the, the, the strength of the power unit, I think, is quite important. And we know that the Alpines are not, um, that's, that's not one of their strengths. So I think it's quite an accomplishment to finish, um, to finish in the points, just like you said. Uh, I mean, they started both outside of the points, so, uh, so definitely an improvement for them. Um, Alfa Romeo had a bit of a tougher time. I think uh, Bottas had a very unfortunate race. And, um, and then the other team that did not score any points, um, with both Hulkenberg and Magnussen actually finishing the race. But um, yeah, Haas had a, had a tough time out there. Magnussen, of course, uh, yeah, his race was pretty much ruined um, by that Perez incident as well, and Hulkenberg. Well, Hulkenberg started. Um, then he started like P19, P18, or something. So um, that m might have been already difficult from the onset. Um, but um, but yeah, neither Haas has really had a had a good race. I wonder. I mean, of course, Magnussen managed to score a point uh, in um, in Singapore, uh, but that also had to do a lot with. Um, with Russell crashing on that last lap, but uh, yeah, I, I do wonder what the um, what the future is going to bring for Haas because they're not really developing the car in such a way that they uh, put themselves in a position to score any points. Yeah, exactly. Very true. Uh, I also think that um, Haas needs to to step up uh, with the update game because uh, it's uh, they be they've been having this problem. Uh, basically for their entire F1 career and um, they they are known for starting the the season pretty pretty solid uh, and then uh, not developing the car and so uh, evolving backwards and um, of course this season has been really uh, really difficult for them so far uh, I'm not saying it's a season like uh, 2021 or 2020 when uh, they uh, they used to finish always P19 and P20, of course. But um, I think uh, they have 12 points now, which is of course uh, not that bad, but um, they they uh, could have been uh, uh, much more with uh, some upgrades because in the in the first races um, they they were doing quite well and they also have. A couple of talented drivers uh, who uh, who know uh, how to extract uh, maximum from from the car. Also, Hulkenberg is is really good in quality, so they need to to improve uh, with uh, with upgrades and also to uh, to figure out how the car can can eat their tires uh, less because uh, they they really struggle with it. 
Well, I think it's a really, really important point that you bring up, Mateo, about the upgrades, and that's something that Haas just can't doesn't bring to the table. Uh, like a team, let's say, of AlphaTauri, who we mentioned, has brought upgrades recently that they've seen some improvements as a result of. So, I think that's something that that team does need to has has specifically needs to work on in order to be able to remain more consistent and keep up with everybody. And I think that if they continue to go this route where they just don't really implement a lot of upgrades and, and uh, development throughout the season, they're going to see teams like AlphaTauri surpass them. So I think that uh, I don't know if, if it's going to happen, but I think it definitely could before the end of this year. Yeah, because uh, Alpha, Alpha Romeo now has 10 points and Haas is 12 and I think AlphaTauri has five. So um, it's actually, yeah, it's actually quite, close together with those three teams and uh, I'd be interested to see which one's going to finish at a, ahead of which. Yeah, and let's not yeah, exactly. AlphaTauri finished outside of the points this weekend, which was unfortunate considering what they were going into in the race, uh, where they were positioned. However, if they, they just snaked out of the points, if they had finished within, and let's say both drivers do, and I do think that it's highly likely that you're going to see at least a race or two where both drivers may end up in the points. If that happens and Haas is out, I mean, all it takes is one or two of those races to truly surpass them. So... Okay, so it's that lovely time of the episode where we get into the score. So, Anton, why don't we discuss, first of all, how many people played the game this weekend? That's a very good idea. We actually had a record attendance uh, on Forecast F1 this weekend. So, the previous record amount of people was during the first race of this season in Bahrain with 554 people playing. We had 556 people playing the game this weekend. And we had a average score of 47 points. And um, first of all, uh, how many people do you think had a correct podium prediction, uh, Sam? I'm going, lately I've been saying nobody because of the recent results of the last few weekends. But I'm going to say this weekend, three people. Matteo, do you think anybody had Verstappen, Norris, Piastri predicted like that, in that order? I think so. As I said um, at the start of the podcast, um, after after you watched the um, FP1 and FP2, um, it could have been uh, a bit more predictable than usual. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, about four or five people got it right. Okay, so Sam said three, you said four or five. I- I'm going to force you to pick a number, four or five? Um, five. And that's the... Correct amount. So there were five people who predicted that podium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good start getting into the quiz a little bit later on. But first, let's look at uh, who who won this uh, Forecast F1 weekend. And the winner this weekend is from Hong Kong. His name is uh, Quentin Husu, and he scored 83 and a half points. He actually did not have a correct podium uh, because he had Piastri on P4 and he had uh, Leclerc on P3. So those were switched around. But he did uh, predict Verstappen on P1, Norris on P2, he also had Hamilton on P5, Sainz on P6, Russell on P7, and he had the point for 
fastest lap as well. So um, and also actually scoring 50% of the points for Alonso. And like I said, 50% for Leclerc's and Piastri's points. So um, so yeah, that's uh, that's a very good score. That also gets him into the high scores in the Asian continent. And um, then uh, we had a shared podium place for P2 uh, because there were two people who scored 79.5 points. The first being Jordan Watt from Zimbabwe. He had a correct podium with um, Verstappen, Norris, Piastri. He also scored full points for Hamilton, Russell and Alonso. And the other person who scored the same amount of points was Matias Aranovic from Argentina. And he had Verstappen on P1, Norris on P2, Hamilton on P5, Sainz on P6, the point for fastest lap and a couple of points for Leclerc, Piastri, Russell and Alonso. So um, so those are the three people on the podium for this weekend. And when we look at the standings for the competition for the whole season, we see that Jesus Diaz actually increased his lead. So he scored 53 points this weekend. And um, yeah, his lead now becomes 26.6. And um, he has a total point tally of 894.6 points. And uh, yeah, Tobias Jolie is still in second place. He scored 45 points this weekend. And um, and he has an 18.6 point gap to P3. And P3 is still Filip Hovajek from Lebanon, uh, who scored 49 points. So he's he's gaining a little bit on Tobias. Um, as I said, uh, new high scores, uh, but I'll post those in the Instagram page during this week. Um, so let's have a look at our points. And... Um, Sam, I, I will first ask you, what do you think? Did you score more points than <laughs> me or Matteo? <laughs> okay, uh, I'm going to say no, um, but I know, I know my um, podium. Well, I'm still going to say no. <laughs> I'm still going to say no, even if I think about it. Okay, well, let's first go to Matteo and my points. So, Matteo, you finished P88 this weekend out of the 556 people that played. Uh, so, that's a pretty good score. You had 57 points. Um, you had a podium of Verstappen, Leclerc, Norris. So, um, so you got those Verstappen points. Uh, you got 25% of the points for Leclerc, 50% of the points for Norris. And um, you had Hamilton uh, correctly predicted in P5. You also scored uh, the two points for Ocon because you had him on P9. Uh, you also grabbed that fastest lap point. So you got 57 points in total, bringing you from P58, where you were in the standings after Singapore, to P54. So you climbed four places. And um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty decent result. Um, Not bad at my all. My predictions were completely different but I scored the exact same amount of points as you did. So we are actually a shared P88 this weekend. Wow, what are the odds? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, I, I actually went for Verstappen, Perez, Norris on the podium. Um, I actually scored for a lot of people points, but the only one I got correct was Verstappen. I had almost all drivers just one place besides where they finished. Um, but yeah, um, both of us had 57 points, and um, and Sam, uh, it was a very close call between um, Matteo, you, and me. Um, really? But you did outscore us with one point. <laughs> I'm actually wow. pleasantly surprised by that. <laughs> did not expect that at all. How did I? Okay, now you got to break it down because I don't understand how I managed to do that. 
Yeah, I didn't understand that first either. But <laughs> uh, but <laughs> no, you you scored uh, well. You had a podium of Verstappen, Russell, Norris, so you scored fifty percent of the Norris points. You had Leclerc on P four, and uh, that got you the full twelve points for Leclerc. So that that helped you a lot. Uh, and you did score some points for Sainz and Hamilton and Alonso. You also scored the fastest lap point. So yeah, your total was um, was 58 points. And uh, with that, you finished P76 in this week's uh, results. And you moved from P114 to P103. And myself, I moved from P87 to P76. So we all gained places during this weekend. Um, all of us having a pretty decent score, if I were to say. But um, but of course, that's just the scores for the game. We're now going to go to the quiz. And I don't know if you remember, Sam, do you recall last time out when you um, when you played the quiz against Matteo, what was the score? Uh, no, that I definitely can't remember. <laughs> Matteo, do you remember? Um, I, I think like uh, I won it, but not by how much. <laughs> You I, did I, win it. You, you, yeah. Sorry, no. Say, say it, Sam. Oh no, I was gonna say. I know you won. I just have no idea by how much. You outscored Sam eight to three. But uh, but in the meantime, <laughs> Sam had a bit of practice. So uh, so yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see what this weekend's gonna bring us. Yeah, no pressure. And no pressure, Anton. <laughs> it's always nice to build a little bit of pressure. You see, just like the drivers, some some thrive under it, and and some. Yeah, some drive into the side of the side of others drivers. But anyway, um, yeah, let's uh, let's let's go to uh, P1. Um, of course, um, Verstappen won. And um, and how many people, Sam, do you think uh, put Verstappen on that spot there? So we had 556 people playing the game. You go. <laughs> okay, I'm clearly gonna gonna say a very high number. Uh, so let's say 485. Uh, I think um, 499. That's actually only five of the correct numbers. So there were 504 people who predicted wow. for stopping to win the race. So wow. yeah, that, that first point goes to Matteo. And um, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to write it down. Uh, I don't want to um, make the same mistake as I did during the Singapore weekend where I... I was made fun of by Sam for not uh, counting the points. Uh, <laughs> he got all flustered and all of a sudden lost his points. <laughs> yeah. Tally. But let's let's try to avoid that. Um, so, Matteo, how many people had Norris on P2? I think 160. Oh, that's a good guess. I was going for something around there, too. Um I'm going to say a little bit lower. I'm going to I'm going to say 145. That makes the score one against one because there were 71 people who had Norris on P2. I'm a little surprised actually there was only 71 people. But interesting. Yeah, especially cuz after I mean we could make our picks after free practice 1 and 2 and I think in both sessions Norris finished on the third fastest time and I think at that point, we were already seeing that the McLarens were pretty all right on race pace as well. So, yeah, I guess um, there must have been a lot of people then who went for Norris on um, on P3, P4. Perhaps well, also yeah, I, a couple of people. Sorry? I was just going to say, I mean, as much as I say it's surprising, I also did not pick Norris on P2, so. But there was also a couple of people who actually picked him for the win. There were seven people who predicted Norris to win the race. 
Um, there are actually, and this was the first time ever, that there were people picking Piastri to win the race. There were two people who, who, who did that. Um, there was even somebody who went for a Gasly win. But um, but yeah, we're, we're drifting wow. away. Um, it's one against one. Was their name and, a Jeep? Uh, <laughs> no, actually, no. I'm, I'm trying to... Or I, I don't know who it was. Every... I, should, I should actually look that up and, and and see who that did who did that but anyway um let's uh, let's move on let's go to ps3 then ps3 finishing on p3 sam how many people do you think put ps3 on the podium or put him exactly on that p3 spot i'm gonna say 56 um i'm gonna say um 52 i don't know yeah yeah that's a that's a good move going below the 56 because it was uh, it was not that many people. It was only seven people who had PS3 oh, wow. on P3. Yeah, so 52 okay. is lower than 56, and uh, and that means it's two against one for Matteo. And <laughs> um, we move on. Matteo uh, Leclerc finished on P4, and uh, we already heard that Sam had Leclerc there. But how many other people, or how many people in total, predicted Leclerc to finish on that fourth spot? Um, I think quite a few people did. So. I would say mm, 91. Okay, I'm going to go... Your numbers are similar to the what I was thinking as well. <laughs> it's going <laughs> to be tough. Okay, I'm going to say a little bit less than you. I'm going to say 87. Shouldn't have gone less, Sam. Should have gone up. <laughs> <laughs> it was 100, 126 people who had Leclerc okay. on, on P4. Um, so yeah, that point too goes to Matteo. Keep in mind, of course, that anyway, there was more people who played the game. So I guess, uh, you know, uh, all in all, all of the numbers are, are perhaps slightly Fair. elevated from what they are normally. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking you guys are already taking that into account. So, um, so yeah, um, P5, Hamilton, Sam. I'm going to say 70, no, no, <laughs> no, I don't know. Okay, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to stick to it, 78. I'm going to say, I think um, I'm going to go higher, so 85. I knew you were going to go higher. I just knew it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was uh, that was the the right thing to do because it was 99 people who had Hamilton <laughs> on P5. So um, so also that point goes to uh, goes to Matteo as well. And um, oh dear, it's repeating uh, last time. Yeah, it seems it seems a bit like that. Uh, we um, we we go to the second uh, Ferrari. Uh, Sainz finished on P6. And um, Matteo, how many how many people you think um, predicted that correctly? I think um, I think maybe after Singapore, uh, science got maybe hyped a bit. So I'd say uh, most of the people uh, predicted him to finish above P6. So I I will go for um, twenty. That's a good that's a good guess because I was gonna say the exact same thing. I think a lot of people put probably put more faith in the fact that he was gonna finish in the top five, but. I'm going to go a little bit higher than you. I'm going to say 39. Yeah, your reasoning, um, the reasoning what you're bringing up is a good one. I think uh, indeed a lot of people, um, they're actually throughout this season, 
there was always more people picking Leclerc for P1 than there was signs, but this was the first race where both were picked 13 times. So that's showing that uh, that it's becoming more difficult to pick the right um, or to pick which Ferrari is going to be um, finishing higher than the other. Actually, this was the first time ever I, I think I put signs uh, for a higher finishing position than uh, Leclerc. But um, yeah, um, it was not a high number. It was 27. So that means that Matteo is only seven off and, and Sam is 12 off. So this point two goes to Matteo and it's five against one. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like I'm Perez right now in the garage watching Max <laughs> get the pit stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you have one point thus far and Perez didn't get any. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, we we moved to Russell. Uh, Russell finished on uh, P7, Sam. And uh, how many pe- people <laughs> put him there in their predictions? I'm gonna. I'm going to say 25. I'm gonna go um, lower, so uh, 17. Well, as good as you guys were reasoning for the science position, uh, you're pretty far <laughs> off for Russell. Uh, there was really? there was 112 people who had Russell on uh, on P7. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, nice. Yeah, I guess with a similar reasoning, somewhat to um, nah, nah. Then again, of no, course, he didn't I know, take any I, points I in idea. Singapore, but but he was driving he a was good, good. race. So yeah, yeah, I knew yeah. I knew where you were about to go with that. You were, but but yeah, I think yeah, that, I broke that, it off. Again, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a wise choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, surprising actually that that 112 people put him put him down there. Um, well, then again, you... he did. He did finish there, so... Yeah, because I see that all of us put Hamilton on a higher finishing position than Russell in our predictions. Uh, all, all three of us did. Uh, we all put Russell one place below below Hamilton. So... Um, actually, as no, a No, actually, you didn't. Sorry, me. you put Russell on P2. I did put, I, I put Russell well, on P2, I'm, I'm, but I'm that stunned was... stunned for a second there. <laughs> That was because of the fact that he did so well, and I just felt like he, like he had his, uh, he was, he did well in Singapore, minus the mistake at the very end. Uh, so I felt like maybe he was going to carry that momentum into Suzuka, but, uh, but that didn't happen. Um, but one side note that I'd say I, I meant to bring this up earlier. What did it's completely unrelated to the scores right now? But what did everyone think of Hamilton's helmet this weekend? I liked it. Um... I, of course, uh, I think, as most of the fans, um, preferred the uh, the rendered version rather than the version that uh, he actually used. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was uh, it was nice to uh, to see it. Um, it was um, it was really related to Japan, so of course, uh, I liked. Uh, um, Alonso's helmet more uh, because of the samurai or also um, Ocon's uh, helmet, uh, but it was it was really nice. It, it was um, I, I think it's safe to say that uh, it stood out and uh, it was different from uh, all the others. I really yeah. liked Alonso's helmet too, but uh, Sam, I think you were in love with with Lewis' helmet, no? I did. I did really like Lewis's helmet. That's why I asked. But but I agree. It looked a little bit more different on the track as it did uh, beforehand. Uh, but it but it really did stand out. I will say though, I did I did appreciate Alonso's helmet as well. I thought that was really great. Um, but yes, I I admired the um, I admired Lewis's helmet. 
<laughs> so that's why I just wanted to bring it up. But anyways, <laughs> moving along, we go back to scores. Yeah, back to scores. So I'm adding uh, one more point to Checo, uh, Sam, um, and uh, that makes it uh, <laughs> two against five. So um, we go to P8, and uh, that was where Alonso finished. Uh, Matteo, how many people do you think have put in the Aston Martin driver there at P8? Um, I think uh, mm, 110. Okay, I'm going to say 120. That's really nice. That means the point's going to be shared between the two of you because it was 115, so that's right in between. Oh. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to count a, a half point for uh, for the both of you, um, which uh, doesn't really help you, Sam, but, um, <laughs> but you can help yourself if you uh, get close to the amount of people that predicted Ocon and P9. Okay. I'm going to say 104. That's a lot. Oh, so I'm way off. off maybe. Actually, I don't know. Mateo hasn't chosen yet, so. Um, I think that, uh, generally speaking, uh, the the finishing position of the top 10, so like uh, P9, P10, um, are a bit more uh, harder to, to predict. So I think a few people predicted Ocon for P9 and I go for uh, 60. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that that's a lot. You're right, Sam, that was a stupid comment. But uh, yeah, it was only it was only 30, 38. So the point does go to uh, to Matteo. Um, <laughs> I mean, at in, this in, point, in... it wasn't going to really differentiate my competitiveness this weekend, I feel, but that... <laughs> <laughs> Okay. That's what I was going to say next. You couldn't have won it anymore regardless, but that doesn't matter. Um, uh, still, let's let's try and get those uh, last two points for P10 and, and fastest lap, uh, Sam. I'm, 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 not, I'm not bringing up the, the, the pressure at all here. Um, <laughs> I want to hear from Matteo first. How many people had Gasly there on P10? Um, I think uh, um, 27. Ooh, I was going to say 22. So I'll stick to 22. All right. That point goes to Matteo as well because it was 61 people. Oh. Expected less. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> so did I. And uh, you're right that usually, yeah, it becomes more difficult when you get to the P8, 9, and 10 positions and there's a lot more options. So usually, but then again, there's a lot of people who put the Alpines just there on 9 and 10. So. Um, yeah, we go to the last point, which was for fastest lap, which Verstappen took um, with a, what was the time in the end? I think a 134 or something. Um, Sam, how many was. people had Verstappen on that first fastest lap? Um, I am going to say 485. I'm going to stick to similar to what I thought in terms of how many chose for uh, P1. And um, I'm going to go lower than I did for P1, so I'd say 450. That point goes to Matteo as well, because it was 421. Yeah. <laughs> so that means it's, uh, yeah, it's eight and a half against two and a half. Uh, well, Sam, it's, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a repeat or even worse than that. Yeah. So uh, I've just been yeah. asked to go to, to go out on the track and do my three laps to serve my penalty. <laughs> 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 At least Sam has uh, 
half half a point more than Checo has wins. Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly, that's, exactly. That's let, true. <laughs> let let's keep a positive spirit. So um, so yeah, that uh, that wraps up the quiz, and um, it's um, it's a little bit longer wait than it was last time. We're gonna wait two weeks, but then we have a sprint race in Qatar, where um, I think uh, it's going to be very likely that uh, Verstappen crowns himself as um, as world champion this year already during the sprint race. Um, I guess the sprint races were not initially meant for that. So how how do we feel about uh, uh, you know a world champion being crowned during during one of those on the Saturday, if that happens, of course. Do we think that even happens? I think that uh, yeah, it can happen. Of course, uh, uh, sprint points are. Uh, way less than the actual race points, so uh, the difference between finishing P1 and P4 or 5 is uh, is way less than in the actual race. Um, but of course, uh, Max uh, needs only to uh, to win the sprint with Checo P4, I think. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, it should be uh, it could be happen, and. Um, about uh, a world champion being crowned during a sprint, I think that's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of weird uh, to if we can witness uh, this because of course, uh, um, as it happened with uh, with Red Bull, uh, you you have to with the constructor championship, um, you you need to to watch the race and then. To uh, to watch the the team or, or the driver being crowned champions, but of course uh, with the six uh, sprint races in uh, in a season and also with a couple of sprints uh, uh, towards the end of the season, uh, it can happen um, to witness a, a champion being crowned uh, uh, during a sprint. Um, of course, um, um, I think it also happened in F, uh, Formula Three this year that um, uh, Bortoleto won the championship after quali. So yeah, it was yeah it was a bit weird, but uh, it can happen. Yeah, I I think it's we all know that it's inevitable at this point. It's just a matter of when um, Max is going to be crowned. I agree with you, Matteo. It would be a little uh, unusual to see someone crowned, a driver crowned during a sprint. Um, but then at the same time, I guess we know it, we know it's going to happen at some point <laughs> at this stage, especially with such a dominating season as he's had. So I do think that we will see him likely as world champion in Qatar and it's two weeks away. So we do have a little bit of time, like you said, Anton. I mean, I think it's even possible that Perez finishes ahead of Verstappen in the race, but Verstappen still becomes champion because Perez doesn't take enough points in order for him to still be mathematically a contender during the the last uh, five races of the season. So it 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 there's a couple of um, weird outcomes that could. Um, but then again, I I'm not really expecting much else than a, than a Verstappen win, although. Um, yeah, like uh, Matteo was saying in the beginning of the episode, we had uh, we had a couple of interesting races uh, after the after the season break. I mean, there was a lot of chaos in uh, in the Netherlands. We saw some good racing in Monza. We saw especially good racing in Singapore. So uh, so let's just hope that uh, the remainder of the season is um, is exciting. And there's definitely uh, be besides 
the the winner of the of the championship there's definitely a couple of other fights that are still very interesting to watch uh, both between drivers as well as teams so um so i think there's still a lot to look forward to um out of all the races mateo which which race are you looking forward to most uh, is it because um, i'm wondering what you're thinking for example about the las vegas uh, race can you share your thoughts on that um yeah of course uh, i'm interested to see uh, the card uh, at las vegas but i'm looking forward to um to see brazil because uh it has always been a, an interesting race of course uh, last year with um with the mercedes one two uh the the only no red bull win of the, the second half uh, and also in 2021 with the uh with hamilton's last two uh last two first uh, um also in 2019 uh, uh, we had a crazy race with ferrari uh double dnf and and the stuff and uh the stuff and winning the race that uh wasn't uh as predictable uh, as it is now so uh, the races are uh, always entertaining, and of course, uh, I'm looking forward also to Abu Dhabi because uh, even if it's boring, uh, the the season, uh, the last uh, the last race of the season is always uh, special. Yeah, most definitely. I, I would I would agree with you on in terms of the the race that I'm most looking forward to out of the last ones that we have here is Brazil as well. I always think that it's an exciting race usually that we see with Brazil and we often see surprises so it would be nice uh, to experience that and um, I mean Vegas is the one track on the calendar that we haven't seen as of yet and we know that there's a lot of excitement surrounding it for the obvious reasons that they're uh, racing on the strip and in Vegas at night so I think that visually it'll be really really cool um, I, I don't know how competitive it's going to be but we haven't seen it yet, so anything is possible. True. No. Well, I guess we're going to see you in a couple of weeks from now. and um, We will. I'd like to thank you, uh, Matteo, to, um, for coming back on the podcast. It was very exciting to have you. And um, looking yes. forward to... Um, <laughs> uh, we were just talking about that uh, before we recorded this episode that uh, again a lot of nice memes from this weekend I think there was a lot of uh, there were a couple of drivers who were supplying you with uh, plenty of um, of material for for making those but uh, yeah, do continue making them because uh, I know at least someone that's uh, that's that's rolling on the floor laughing so uh, so yeah keep it up and um, <laughs> thanks it's sometimes and, uh, when Oh, sorry, Anton. I was going to say sometimes like when you have a race weekend like this, one of the first things I want to do is go and see the memes that you put together because it just works so well with some of the situations that happen. And you know that they're going to be just funny. They're, they're just laughable. Like I said, the, the ones with the with Checo were really, <laughs> were really pretty funny to see after the race. Thanks. Uh, I also enjoy the race because, um, yeah, as I said before, uh, um, it was less entertaining than than the last ones, but uh, there was plenty to to talk about and to meme about, so it was nice. So for everyone who's interested to learn a little bit more about uh, how Matteo started out his channel and also his YouTube channel, um, do listen to the Silverstone episode. Uh, that's when we had him on for the first time, and he told us all about uh, his meme page and, and, and everything surrounding it. And uh, for those that haven't yet subscribed or uh, given a rating to our podcast, 
please do so on whatever platform that you're listening to. And um, yeah, we hope to uh, have you back on um, um, on on one of the other podcasts that we're gonna record, either still in this season or or, or next year. Um, and um, yeah, any uh, any closing words, Sam? Any um, other thoughts uh, that we haven't uh, touched upon yet? I think we've touched on quite a bit. I, I think we all can collectively agree that uh, outside of Verstappen securing a championship, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how some of the teams that are so close in driver pairings are going to evolve throughout the rest of these last few races. And uh, and it'll be interesting. And yeah, again, Matteo, as always, it's been a pleasure to have you on. And um, I will also say that if, if you aren't following... Mateo on Instagram, you can find him at uh, Polmat16 Racing. And Polmat is P O L M A T. So, uh, and 16 is the number. So definitely check it out. And I guess most people know how to spell racing. I, I would certainly hope so for those yeah. that are listening. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you might as well switch off now. <laughs>